Hey listeners, I'm Robbie and this is The Breakdown. So last week we launched the first three episodes and the response has been overwhelming. Thank you so much for subscribing, reviewing, sharing, and reaching out on social media. Keep it coming. This week, I am so excited to bring you my conversation with Jeff Josselson. Jeff is a casting director and partner at Jay-Z Casting in New York City. Jeff's New York credits include the Broadway production of The Velocity of Autumn starring Estelle Parsons, Southern Comfort at the Public Theater, Yank and Enter Laughing at the York Theater, John and Jen with The Keen Company, himself and Nora at Minetta Lane, and the off-Broadway production and national tour of Alter Boys. Additional touring credits include work for Disney and Nickelodeon. Jeff also casts regularly for Arena Stage, Arizona Theatre Company, Baltimore Center Stage, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, Bucks County Playhouse, the Cape Playhouse, the Cleveland Playhouse, Denver Center, Marriott Theatre, the Old Globe, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, PCLO, Pittsburgh Public Theatre, among many others. My conversation with Jeff was so helpful. For example, he explains the timeline of casting a project, like when in the process EPAs are scheduled, when exactly breakdowns are released, and when he schedules appointments, and how he makes his list of actors. Jeff also has helpful hints about what makes an actor pop when you're auditioning for a creative team, super important, and how your reputation is a big factor in castability. And as actors, this is something that we have control over. Most importantly, Jeff talks about type and how that's actually not a useful term today. He explains that anyone can play anything. It's what you bring to it that makes you right for it. Jeff really cracked open the business for me in a whole new way, and I think he will for you too. All right, listeners. Now, without further ado, my conversation with casting director Jeff Josselson. I am here with Jeff Josselson. Um, <laughs> super excited to get to do this. So Jeff has his own office, what I, I think is super cool, and I want to know how you got there. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, to totally rewind, I um, I went to college for. I, I grew up wanting to be an actor, and then as I got into high school, a director. So I went to NYU uh, Tisch for directing, and I thought I'm going to be a director. Um, Great. And. I directed a bit in college, um, then I transferred into, I went to the Playwrights Horizons School, which is their directing program, transferred into the experimental theater wing by my junior year, so studied more experimental theater um, from an acting standpoint, uh-huh. but always knew I wasn't going to be an actor. Um, I mean, part of the reason I, uh, what I what I, uh, I, I think about a lot in casting is what you guys as actors go through, and I know I could never do that. I could never go in an audition. Um, I would probably be a, a crying mess after one audition that I didn't get. Um, but I always loved the acting process. So I think by the time I became a senior, um, I was in the city and I'd done some internships, assisted some directors, and I thought, okay, what's next? Um, and I something stuck in the back of my mind from when I was in pre-college. At I did the, the pre-college program at Carnegie Mellon uh-huh. uh, before I went to college, when I was in high school. And I remember one of the teachers had randomly offhandedly said to me um, about all the different, these, there's all these different careers in theater and I wish I had known about them and listed a whole bunch of things and one of them was casting director. And in my mind that just somehow that title stuck in my mind because 
even when I was directing, I loved the casting process. I mm-hmm. grew up um, going to the theater and without even realizing it until I became a casting director, I always sort of memorized who was in what show and um, who was doing what and what else they got cast in. And I started always brainstorming and thinking of um, who should do what when a new show was announced for either a, a regional theater in my community or when something was announced on Broadway. Um, so that always seemed like, oh, I wonder, you know, I wonder what that is. And so I thought when I was a senior in college, I should try to do an internship and sort of see what this career really is, if it's what I think it is, mm-hmm. um, and, and go for it. So I, um, my senior year, my uh, spring semester, I did an internship at two different casting offices. So I went awesome. wholeheartedly in, um, and I went to one office three days a week, one office two days a week and got totally different experiences. Um, one was um, Dave Clemens casting, which doesn't exist anymore. The other yes. was Cindy Rush uh, casting. And Love Cindy Rush. Did totally different. Cindy was casting um, kind of smaller, a lot of plays, and so we did some indie films. And uh, Dave Clemens, we had these big musicals, like I think uh, Brooklyn and Boy From Oz and some of these big, uh, these big non-equity tours we were doing. was done I got hired uh, by Mark Simon who um, I don't believe he's casting anymore either Um, but he um, hired me for a bit to work on some shows with him and then Dave Clemens hired me um, you know within I was I think it was a month after my internship was over I went to work for Mark for about a month and then Dave hired me back and um, I became a full casting director very quickly um, at, at 22, which is not really how it usually works, but wow. I happened to be at the right place at the right time, and mm-hmm. uh, we had a lot of work, and I was ready. Um, so I was there for about a couple years, and then it wasn't a real conscious decision to start my own office. Um, it just sort of felt like time to move on from Dave's for a variety of reasons, and um, a number of people that I had worked with had sort of expressed interest, uh, speaking, meaning uh, directors, producers, had expressed interest in continuing to work with me. Um, and I didn't really solicit any of the work. Um, I just sort of left and uh, um, fig- thought I'd, I'll figure out what the next step is for myself. And all, all of these people hired me very quickly. So um, pretty immediately I started casting on, on, on my own. And I was actually, I was so reluctant um, for the first year or two to even call myself a casting office. I didn't want to be presumptuous. I was, I think, 24, 25 years old, 24, I think. And um, I was like, I'm not going to start calling myself a big casting office. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, but now it's been, I'm in my 12th year of being on my own. And I've since become a casting office and have employees. Jeff Jocelyn yeah. casting exactly. office. I, I mean, it took me, a, I no lie, I, it took me a couple years to even get business cards because I just felt I didn't want to be a fraud or, a, a, you know, a, 
be presenting myself as something that I didn't know that I, I was ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, after a couple years of working nonstop um, as a casting director, I realized, okay, this is, this is here to stay, and I'm actually in office, or I'm actually a casting director, and um, kind of committed to it. And it, it's shocking to me now to look back and realize it's been 12 years since I did that. Um, and, or I guess it's 11 years, I'm in my 12th year. And, um, so cool. Yeah. So exciting. So, and along the way, I've, I've, I have taken bits of time to work with other casting directors on specific projects. I've worked with uh, Dave Caporelliotis and Cindy Tolan um, and a couple of James Caleri on a couple other projects um, when it's fit into my schedule. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So what does that mean? It's like a casting director like David or James mm-hmm. is like, I'm doing this big project and I need just someone else to come in to either like do a session or find names or I just need another exactly that's pretty office. much it it's um I don't really have I've never had much of an ego about myself of saying like I'm too good to do this or too big or too established I just like to work and I love what I get to do so sometimes you know when a cast director um I know or have a good relationship with has needed an extra set of hands they need somebody to kind of come in and be a fresh set of eyes to help to run auditions or make lists, you know, bring in new people maybe they don't know or haven't thought of, or they're just so inundated with things that they need somebody to handle a project, you know, uh, um, more comprehensively, um, that, but still be under the umbrella of their office. Um, I've jumped in and done that for people. So I'll go in just for a project and work on one film or one show uh, for them. Cool. It seems like a great way of for you to get to also meet other actors and see how other offices maybe work. And then, like you said, for them to learn new people that maybe you've been a champion or fan of over the years or, or brought in, it seems like it, it could be fun to be collaborative in that way. Oh, absolutely. And that's what I think people probably don't realize. And I don't know that it really, how, how often it happens, but I do think casting can be very collaborative and um, I mean, within the, uh, within um, the profession itself, not just with the, the creative teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I have so many friends in casting at different offices. So I'll text people or, you know, call friends or when I run into them, certainly ask them how they do things or if they know a certain actor or have experience with people that I might not. Um, you know, I've learned so much from working with other casting directors, too, of how they do things and some of that I've adopted for myself some of it you know I haven't because it, it doesn't work for me quite as well yeah um, and casting also has been constantly changing I mean since I got into it the way that we all function has changed just with technology and with um, the speed in which we need to do things mm-hmm. so kind of expanding on that when you um, meet with a producer or director and they talk about their vision for the show and they're like this is kind of uh, the kind of people or the breakdown that I want for this role or this character Um, well and then another question I have is who actually writes the breakdown is that the director or is the casting director or it depends so for the breakdown well so every project I think what you're getting at is the way we start so if a producer comes or director comes or a writer comes to me and says you know, please cast this. I'll usually read the script if there is one available. If not, they'll sort of talk to me about what we're looking for. And if there's you, not a script available. Yeah, sometimes there, <laughs> sometimes there is like a couple pages or, you know, depending on what it is, 
Um, That's kind of fun. Yeah, sometimes they're like really reworking. They have a treatment of, of something. Usually there's some script or a draft of something. Uh-huh. Um, and then I'll read it and we'll have lengthy discussions about who what the roles are, what they're looking for. Um, and if it's something new, it might be really detailed discussions about what, what they're looking for um, and how they envision these roles because they might be figuring it out themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... The breakdown is usually gets written by. It depends. It, sometimes if it's if there's less information out there for me, um, I might ask the writer to write it or the director to write it. Um, sometimes if it's a really busy director or a director that you know might not feel as comfortable writing character descriptions, I'll write it. Mm-hmm. And then either way, we trade. We we send it around and everybody looks at it first. So if I write it, the director, I, I'll send it to the director and the writer and the producer. To make sure what I'm thinking is in line with what they're thinking. So, because I'm not directing the show, so just because I think this is how to describe the role, if it's not what the director wants, I need to change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, vice versa, some directors aren't very good at writing breakdown descriptions, um, bec- not because they aren't uh, good writers or they don't have good ideas, but there's certain language that I know after doing this for a long period of time will read better to agents and to actors to give them a clue, a very quick clue of what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. So they can read the description and just be like, okay, great. This is the actor that's right for it. Or the actor can say, great. Now I know what kind of choice to make in this scene. Um, Because sometimes a writer will think, oh, I'm going to put the whole plot in this character description. And that might not be that useful. It might, or it's not necessary for an agent to know, you know, some things about that character because it, it doesn't really play into who, who they're going to submit. So, it, it, you know, it, it's tricky. Like, you know, I, I do recommend always paying attention to the breakdown as an actor, but then at the same time being open of recognizing, okay, if I got the audition, if I got this audition, they specifically want to see me for this. So maybe that information that seems like I'm not right for is out of date. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but that, but it's always a good question to ask because you know, there's also things that we might not realize if it says like, you know, you need to play the trumpet and you don't play the trumpet and we're calling you in for a trumpet playing role, you know, I would maybe ask, make sure that they know that you don't play the trumpet because they might, not have, they might have false information. Right. Your agent or your, the cast director might not have gotten the right info. Mm-hmm. So, but I would definitely recommend going into an audition, looking at the breakdown and knowing what we're looking for. Right. Okay, so the breakdown goes out Agents see it. Uh, they start submitting their clients. You schedule uh, an EPA. Um, well, so that actually is the reverse. Is the yeah, so mm-hmm. basically we have all these discussions uh, about what we're looking for. Sometimes we'll put a breakdown out. Sometimes I won't, like if it's a reading or if it's a, a you know a play, like this play I'm casting right now that Molly Smith's directing. It's one character we're looking for. And it's a really specific kind of role. So we've started with just ideas and where I've come up with ideas and haven't put a breakdown out. I might, as we get cl- if, if we're still looking, mm-hmm. um, but if so I'm going to put a breakdown. you're not required to, like if, if it's like a big regional theater, right? And they're doing gypsy and they know they're offering like Mama Rose to this woman. You you're not required by equity to like release a breakdown. No. Okay. So what equity requires is if we're doing auditions, to put it do EPAs or mm-hmm. sometimes it's like self submissions or there's some some sort of equity requirement. So you need to fulfill all the equity requirements first. Mm-hmm. So before I put a breakdown out, I need to put out an EPA notice, schedule EPAs, or 
uh, put out a picture resume request mm-hmm. thing. Then I'll put a breakdown out. For equity, even if a role is cast, they usually require us to put it on the breakdown mm-hmm. for the EPAs, and we'll just list it as cast. Or mm-hmm. And for them, cast means offered, accepted. Mm-hmm. So there might be times where we've offered the role out and we know somebody's going to play it, but it hasn't been accepted yet. So it will look like it's available at EPAs, but mm-hmm. it's actually not. Mm-hmm. Um, once we put out breakdowns to agents, we can do whatever. We can not put roles out. We can put roles out that we want. Um, sometimes I'll just put out one or two roles um, if I want, or I, I'll, I'll schedule it. I'll focus on certain roles at the same time. Sometimes I'll put out all the roles. So, mm-hmm. And then how do you determine for a given project who who's going to come into the room? Right. So the, uh, there's no easy answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually a, a mix of things. I, I'll go through agent submissions and pull people that look right to me or I think are right, or that I, I've seen in performance or know as actors. Um, and then I combine that with actors that I think of, that I mm-hmm. feel like, oh, this person would be great in this. And that could be somebody that I've seen in a show. This could be somebody that's famous. It could be somebody that I've had in a class. It could be somebody that... I know of or know they've played this role before or a role like this before or whatnot. Or it could be somebody the team recommended, the director asked me to see or the music director requested. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be an actor that submitted themselves as well. Um, so but basically we pull from so many diff- different um, areas depending on what the show is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was casting a, a production where I needed flamenco performers, so none of that came from breakdowns, really. Maybe one or two people were submitted by agents, but I had to dig into the flamenco world and do lots of research, and that's who I called into audition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was calling people, you know, that live in Spain and were living in all different states in the country that, to make videos. Um, so it really depends on what we're looking for and um, and what's submitted to us and what you know, what my base of knowledge is based on, you know, if it's a 20-something year old, I might have a lot of people that I've seen in open calls that I want to call in. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's maybe a 50, 60-year-old, I might rely more heavily on agent submissions. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about EPAs, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this myth out that, oh, don't go to EPAs because you can never get cast from an EPA. Is you know, something a lot of actors think. But the, the more people I've talked to, and you definitely hear these stories about people getting Broadway shows from going to an EPA or getting, you know, really getting, booking the job or meeting a lot of people. So do you, you attend the EPAs and do you usually find uh, people at Absolutely. EPAs? It's very rare that I'll leave an EPA without at least a handful of headshots and resumes of people that I want to keep. Um, mm-hmm. Whether or not it's for that project or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it could be there's people that I think are right for another project um, that I want to hang on to them for, or it's just somebody that I'm like, this is a good person to know because I liked their work. Um, and but very often for the project at hand, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend going into an EPA for a project you're not right for, mm-hmm. just in hopes of you know getting to meet the casting director because that could backfire on you. Um, well, and then you're presumably taking the spot of someone that maybe is non-equity, but maybe exactly. super right for it. Exactly. And that's I, I, and I try to see non-equity 
um, and get in as many people whenever I'm there. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I've cast people out of EPAs all the time. Um, depending on what the show is, if it's a really small play and there's only a couple characters, it might be harder to get cast out of an EPA just because there's very few roles and especially if it's maybe something that's trying to be commercial production and they need a quote unquote name, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that might be harder to get cast out of an EPA. Although understudies I've cast out of EPAs a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but big musicals, especially we cast people out of the ECC and the EPAs all the time. And then, okay. So if you're going to an EPA or if you're doing like a big open call for, a musical or a play or something, what are things or ways or what what draws your attention to someone when you're seeing so many actors in one day, you know, being really right for the role or just being outrageously talented, you know, is, is an obvious answer. But like, are there things that actors can have control over that, that makes them stand out a little bit more or makes them a little bit more memorable in a day where you're seeing, you know, over 200 people sometimes? Um... Well, I mean, I think your answer was was sort of my answer. I mean, ultimately, somebody that feels really right for the role or is really talented always is the person that'll stand out. I think people that try to stand out tend to be people that probably stand out in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think the best thing that you can have control over, because I think ultimately, unfortunately, in auditions, most things are out of your control Mm -hmm. other than how you comport yourself, Mm -hmm. your behavior, and your work. And even some of your work is out of your control. I know nerves get the best of some people, um, you know, or there are factors at play, like how the accompanist is or how the reader is. Um, At EPAs, I think if you come in and you are a nice human being and uh, are professional and you're not trying to do too much and trying to be too... um, like fake friendly with the team Mm -hmm. but you come in you seem like a life a nice person we see you interacting nicely with the accompanist um or the reader if it's a play um and seem like a good person to work with that's always a great thing to see and then doing good work being prepared um choosing the right kind of material I can't tell you how often people come in and either have excuses or are just blatantly singing or doing monologues for for a show that is not what we're casting, you know? Mm-hmm. I And they walk away and I think, well, I wonder what that was an audition for. Uh-huh. Because they didn't really do anything that gives me information about um, anything pertaining to this show. Because mm-hmm. we're ultimately looking for something specific in you that... Um, shows us that you can play these roles or be in this world and if you choose material that doesn't show you show what you can do within that arena it doesn't help us and there are so many other people that are doing that Mm -hmm. um you know and it also just feels like oh maybe they just came in because they saw that we had free slots and they just want to come in and sing Mm -hmm. um and that then feels like they're taking up somebody else's time slot or they're just wasting our time by auditioning just for the sake of auditioning mm-hmm. and not auditioning for something specific. Right. And so I, I think, you know, probably the, the shorter answer is coming in and being focused on what you're going for. Mm-hmm. If you want to play a certain role in a show or a cert- if you just want to be in a certain show, 
having that sort of intention and that specificity mm-hmm. will feed whatever it is that you're singing or mm-hmm. whatever choices that you make within your song or monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, because we'll get it. We'll then see, oh, that audition, even if you're not singing that character song, we'll get, oh, that they're auditioning for this show. That was smart of them. They made smart choices. I want to work with a smart actor. Uh-huh. No, that makes total sense. So say you're an actor who like didn't get seen for the EPA, right? Or they're non-equity or they just got out of school. What is another way that like they can uh, either self-submit to you or do you ever have people that self-submit video auditions to you of, of the material? Or just what is another way for people maybe... If you're one of the hundreds of people graduating from an acting or musical theater program, what is another way for them to get in front of you or to let them know uh, that you feel that you're interested in or right for a project you're casting? Yeah, I mean, I think going to the auditions is the best way because you're actually in front of somebody. So if you go to an EPA, an ECC, um, or any sort of other open call, that's your best bet, Mm -hmm. first and foremost, because... Likely I'll be there. Somebody from my office will be there. Very often the creative team will be there. I was casting something for the York and Sheldon Harnick, who, you know, is legendary Tony winner, I think Oscar winner. I mean, he's Sheldon Harnick, came to the EPAs. He wanted to sit and watch the EPAs. Um, I've had, you know, big deal directors, big writers, um, you know, producers come to EPAs. Sometimes they're required to. For Bucks County, we were just doing the EPAs, and um, part of their equity agreement is the producer. Ha- one of the producers has to be there, mm-hmm. so you're already getting in front of those people immediately. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the directors just love coming to the EPAs if they have the time. Um, beyond that, self-submitting is always a, a great option. I always go through self-submissions, um, whether or not I can see somebody or not. It really depends on what I'm looking for and how many submissions I get. Mm-hmm. Um, if I get tons of submissions and it's not a role with a lot of specific requirements, it might be hard for me to see people that I don't know at all um, or have, don't really have much on their resume. Uh, but that being said, I very if somebody if something strikes me on somebody's resume mm-hmm. um, or I maybe saw them do something, um, I'll certainly call them in whether or not they have an agent. Um, and, um, you know, I, I also like to put things out on Actors Access if I can, um, if I, especially if I'm looking for something specific, whether it be non-equity or specific uh, special skills. Um, and then I'll go through all of those submissions. I personally probably wouldn't recommend videoing an audition without being asked to do so. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's taking a lot of your time up um, making a video when you know, nobody's asked for it. Mm-hmm. And I probably won't watch it unless I, there's rare occurrences where I might, you know, have the time or I'm really struggling on a role and your email um, just came in at the right time. Mm-hmm. So I think, oh, I'll watch that. And wow, it was perfect. Um, so yeah, they're all rules are made to be broken. But I would offer up the possibility of taping and saying, I'd be happy to put this on tape for you. But I, um, I would recommend just submitting yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether or not you do that, I like ground mail. Um, it's easier for me to look through than emails because I get so many emails every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I like actors access because I can I, it, it gets funneled in with all my agent submissions. 
some cast directors love emails and I have an email account just for submissions that I'll go through. Mm-hmm. Preparation is, is key, right? And what does preparation mean to you? And also specifically, you know, a lot of people ask about memorization and like, should I be memorized? And should I be memorized for the first appointment? And how important is that? I also wonder about how you feel about people working with coaches before auditions. Um, well, preparation to me is key. Again, I think, um, to me, being prepared, though, is not necessarily being off book. I actually recommend holding your material for your first audition um, just to have that safety net and to also remind people behind the table that this is an audition and it's not a fully realized performance. Mm-hmm. Some actors prefer to have it memorized and not hold the script. And if that's your choice um, and that makes you have a better audition, more power to you. I have a lot of respect for people that come in and are memorized and have really done that sort of work, but I don't require it of anybody. I don't think less of anybody for not being off book. I think it's an audition. I don't expect you to have it memorized. Um, Coaching is an actor's personal decision too. I think some people feel like they need a coach to help them with that special audition or for a certain role that might be more challenging for them. Mm-hmm. But I also get that that can be expensive and mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you want to do that as an actor, I leave in your court. I would never require anybody to go to a coach. Um, but you know, there are certain roles that maybe a coach can help you for. Um, but to me, I think being prepared is, is, um, coming in and knowing what you're there for. And that's knowing what the show is, who's behind the table, um, you know, who, what your role is, what your func- the function of your role is in the show, what the story of your character is, what the story of the show is. All of those things that I'm sure if you've studied acting, were taught in your first acting class mm-hmm. that people forget very often because you're doing so much and you're worried and you're trying to impress people but focusing on the basics and answering those questions is preparation mm-hmm. and uh, very often an actor actors will come in and you can see the difference when you know when the people that don't seem to know what, what's happening and I can I'll ask them you know do you know what, what's happening in the scene and they don't know and you know I understand that some of that information can be hard to find ask the questions ask the casting director ask your agent ask your friends, Google, like, you know, everything is online these days. You can find that stuff out. Um, And don't just, if you don't see it in your first two Google searches, keep looking, dig. Um, See what you can find out about that writer. Those are all clues into how to do the scene. Um, Watch, you know, like, you know, if you're coming in for a period piece, watch movies or TV shows from that period so you get a sense of the style. Um, all of that stuff is going to then inform your, your work in the room. And I would much rather somebody having done that kind of work of understanding the scene, understanding the character, understanding, you know, the journey of the show, than if they spent the time memorizing the words. Mm -hmm. Um, so that to me is preparation. It also goes hand in hand with showing up on time uh-huh. Being a nice person, being dressed appropriately, right. um, you know, having you know stuff in your book that 
you know, in case we need to hear another song, you know, fits the show. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's what I'm always looking for. And I, I would, I would prefer to hear from an actor rather than them spending, you know, getting the words perfect. Right. I'd rather you be looking at the page on occasion. But that being said, I, I, I do think it's important to know the words enough that you aren't, you don't have your face in your script. Um, you know, I, I get that everybody, you know, hopefully you'll have multiple auditions a day. You may have a day job. You might have other um, obligations. But the more that you can get yourself familiar with the words uh, and get yourself out of the page and interacting with um, the reader um, or whatever your imaginary scene partner is, um, the better your audition is going to be. And right. while I understand that you might have other, other uh, auditions and maybe more important auditions that day, the creative team is sitting there thinking, you know, this is, is this the person I'm going to hire for this role or not? So this, so the person that comes in and really had put the work in is going to probably pop more. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I'm going to ask a question and it's going to be hard to answer, but then I'm going to like give an addendum to the question. Cause it's what I've been thinking about and kind of what this podcast is, is a little bit maybe gearing towards. So, okay. So you've had the callbacks and you're in the room with the creative team and they're deciding who they're going to give this role to. Um, and they're down between, say, like two or three actresses that they really love and that all did really good work. And what, and I know this is different for every role and every theater and every different director you work with, but what are some of the conversations or things that take place that determines when you're down to that final between these three people who actually ends up getting the job, right? Like sure. what, what are the things that go into you just rising above and, and being, <laughs> you know, being that one person and like the, the addendum that I have to say to that is, is there anything that the actor can control, right? Like when it comes down to three people, maybe one person looks a certain way, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe one person has local housing, maybe one person, um, but is there anything in, within that world that, that an actor can, can control? Well, or any story after the fact, um, like once we're down to the end and we have those three people in the mix or, mm -hmm. um, you know, as the final choices, there's really nothing you can control because it's all happened. I mean, like in your audition. But so something. leading up to it, not necessarily in the audition, um, but the conversations that usually happen, and again, it is different for every show, every producer, um, you know, whether, whether or not we're looking for something really specific or if it's kind of open, um, you know, the first and foremost thing is whether who fits the role the best, who maybe skill set, you know, is the best for what we need. Mm -hmm. Um, meaning this person sings it the best, this person is, had the best read beyond that. Sometimes things like local housing or um, or those sort of things, uh, equity status may factor in. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the biggest key things that comes down to that comes into the conversation uh, regularly is how is that person to work with, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that they will always that the producers or the directors will always ask the casting director. And it's something that we have to sort of keep track of in our own knowledge base is what experiences do we hear about that actor or what have we, what experiences have we had with that actor? What have we heard about that actor? And if we 
don't know that, we have to start asking around. And that happens quite a bit where we'll sort of casually ask, um, you know, people that we see uh, listed on a resume of mm-hmm. how is that person to work with. Because um, that becomes a big factor in casting, especially for theater where, you know, you have to work with somebody for four weeks or something in rehearsal and then have them either be committed to a, a, a run of a month or two months or an open-ended run that they could be hired for a year or two. Mm-hmm. You want to hire somebody that you know is a good team player. And that very often wins out over even talent very mm-hmm. often. People don't want to hire. There's not enough time to to deal with somebody who's difficult unless they are maybe the biggest star in the world that's going to sell you all the tickets. Mm-hmm. So that becomes a big factor. Um, sometimes there's that thing of, you know, who the creative team has a personal relationship with and knows. Mm-hmm. And if somebody, you know, owes somebody a favor or if somebody, you know, has a familiarity with working with somebody, they very well might want to work with that person that they have a history with because mm-hmm. they know going into it, that'll be easier for them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's like a height thing or a look thing mm-hmm. that you never can control. That's right. you are, you are. You, you look like what you look like. And that might be something you have no idea of what we're going for. Um, so they, they tend to be really complicated conversations. Sometimes they're easier conversations. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes they stretch out over the course of a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're always a little complicated. And, you know, I wish actors... I mean, part of me would be horrified if actors could see what was being said about them. But sometimes I sort of wish the actor could be in the room and see how much we loved their work and how much we were debating over the two. Because sometimes it's come down to two people and we could hire both of them and we would be thrilled to hire both of them. And it makes me feel like I've done my job well Mm -hmm. when we have two or more people that the creative team is so excited about hiring. And it happens very often where, you know, it starts, you start splitting hairs Mm -hmm. and that other person doesn't know, the person who doesn't get the job doesn't know that we loved them and if we were, you know, if we, if, if anything was, you know, could have gone differently, you know, we would have hired them. It wasn't, um, it wasn't anything they did. It was, they were perfect. We had to just choose one mm-hmm. because you can only hire one person. So I wish that actor could have seen that because it's like you almost got that job and you could have and we would have been thrilled, but we just chose the other person. Yeah. Well, and the win is that this person will probably be brought in by you again and mm-hmm. the director will probably want to see that person again, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I, I've cast shows where, you know, the, the original actor drops out because of something, you know, they book something and then we go to the second choice and the second choice gets to play it and it wasn't like they were a second choice like, oh, they were substandard. They were just the other person that we couldn't cast at that time. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited to then go to them. Mm-hmm. And very often I think when that happens, you know, it was meant to be. We, you know, we, we, uh, we always were destined to hire that other person. We just didn't for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and so nobody should ever feel like they were second choice. They mm-hmm. were just the other choice. Right. Um, Something that you said in this answer but has struck me being a reader in, in auditions and watching auditions is exactly what you said about um, being a person people want to work with and Mm -hmm. in the room being someone that is nice and fun and maybe themselves and genuine 
you know, I think every acting school tells an actor, like, your audition starts the moment you walk in the room, right? Well, it's even, like, the minute you, you know, get off the subway a couple blocks from the studio. Yeah. Because I ride in elevators with actors and, you know, at these audition studios all the time that then audition for me 10 minutes later or half an hour later. And they don't necessarily know who I am right. or that I'm the one they're auditioning for. And they didn't hold the elevator for you. Right. Or, <laughs> or they were talking about the project, you know, on the elevator with their friend of, oh, I'm going to audition for this. And they don't know that they're, that I'm the one casting that show. And yeah. I'll just stand there and listen, you know, and it, it's, that's, it all factors in. Or in the hallway, if, I, if my assistant or if even when I go out and bring people in the room, people don't necessarily know what I look like. So... If they're rude to me, or if they're if they I see them being rude to other actors, that gives me a big clue into how they might be to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so picking up where we were, so someone does great, they don't get it. Feedback is something that actors talk about a lot, or just navigating when it is appropriate. You know, if you have if you have representation, to ask your agent, hey, you know, I felt like this went really well. It was a callback situation, so I know that I got at least close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- I, when is it appropriate? Or if they don't have an agent and you're the one that's called them in, when is it appropriate? And how do you feel about feedback and askers, uh, actors asking for feedback? I mean, the feedback thing is a is interesting. I always struggle with it personally, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to hear from an actor's perspective that you want the feedback, and I understand why you would want it. Um, you know, to me, for the first part of your question, um, I think asking for feedback is totally appropriate and totally fine to do, but I would use it sparingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't ask for feedback on every audition you go on, mm-hmm. but I think if you go in for an audition and you, um, you know, it either feels like they spend a lot of time with you in the room or you go through callbacks and you go through rounds of callbacks and you really, you know, you've put a lot of time into this audition process, then I think it's totally appropriate to ask for feedback, ask your agent to ask for feedback, or if you've been directly in communication with the casting director, ask them for feedback. Um, and I think it can be as casual as just saying, you know, was just curious if you have any feedback for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you go in for one audition, you know, it's hard. Sometimes I've seen so many people that I have to go back through my notes and it feels like I saw you for five minutes. I don't have a, a ton to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but even people that have gone through rounds of auditions, I struggle very, very much with what kind of feedback to give because very often it feels very specific to that audition. Mm-hmm. And... A, I don't want to, I, I don't want to color uh, the, an actor's, you know, talent or, or that experience to an agent and make them say, oh, this actor wasn't good and, you know, tell their agent that they weren't good, um, you know, and, and potentially hurt that actor's, you know, career. Um, but also I, I want to be honest, but then sometimes it's very often like, no, we loved you and we just had to pick one person. Mm-hmm. And then that feels like, bad feedback or actors always feel frustrated that it's like they they always tell me that I was great and they just that they just went another way or mm-hmm. whatever but a lot of times that's the case mm-hmm. you know um very often it's also just you are really talented you're just not right for this role mm-hmm. and not right might not even be something we can uh, succinctly say it's just that you're not the right energy 
you aren't quite the right, you know, look or vibe or age or, you know, voice, you know, type. And not that you can't sing it, but we're just looking for a different sound. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe the choices that you made as an actor weren't the choices that the director was vibing with, but they were great choices. And if the director took time to give you an adjustment, you could make the other choices, but the director, you know, just didn't really get a, get a good feel for, you know, what you do. Mm-hmm. And I know that all sounds like kind of bullshitty feedback. No, So, sense. you know, but I, I feel very often whenever agents or actors ask me for feedback, half the time I'm saying, you know, you were great. You know, you were uh, the second choice or the other choice or you um, you couldn't have done anything differently. They just didn't feel like you were quite right for this. Mm-hmm. There are times, you know, as I'm sure you know and, you know, the people listening now, um, you know, a lot of people think that the cast director makes all the decisions. But, you know, there are times that we cast shows and the director chooses somebody that I would never choose and the person that I think was the best person of the day didn't get cast. And that person might ask for feedback and I'd be like, you were brilliant. I thought we should have... Ca- I, I'm not going to say I thought we should have cast you, but sometimes I will. But, um, you know, they might have walked away being my favorite audition of the day and they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Right. But I would say, you know, ask for feedback if you really feel like it's going to help you. Mm-hmm. But usually it, it feels like it's really specific to, like, you're great. You're just not this role. Right. You, you weren't who they decided to mm-hmm. hire. The last thing I want to talk about is uh, continuing to maybe take class or mm. or learning a little bit more about audition technique or the profession um, and I love that you do something uh, called the industry studio and I wanted to know if you just talk about that for a little bit oh yeah well that's the other thing I think you we had talked about um, at another point was you know taking on classes I think in general or, or about how to meet casting directors uh, so a lot of people uh, try to figure out how best to get in with casting directors and like I said before going to open calls I think is the best way there is sort of this miss uh or this idea that going into classes for casting directors is a great way to audition for them that's up to an actor to whether or not you want to pay money to audition for casting directors and um to me that's not the kind of work I like to do Mm -hmm. and when I teach I very much look at it as a teaching opportunity Mm -hmm. and uh, whether or not the actor wants it or not, I, I like to give people feedback that I hope will help them in in their audition process and in their journey in the business. So I started a, um, a studio called the Industry Studio that came out of about 10 years of teaching that I did with uh, Cap21. Um, and I found as a casting director and as somebody who went to school for theater that there's not a lot of information that students get um, about the industry, about how the industry works, how to audition, how shows are cast, how all these things that we just talked about happen. It's why the podcast was born. Exactly. And so uh, this was sort of maybe a class version of what your podcast is. And um, I, I developed this program um, as a sort of bridge between being a student or an actor in training to then make the leap into the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we focus on mostly is audition technique, which, as we know, is very different from being a great actor, being great in rehearsals, mm-hmm. being great in building a character. It's really just about how to come in and audition. And within that, 
you get to meet casting directors, you get to meet directors, you get to meet music directors, you get to meet a lot of the players in the business to not just develop a relationship with them, but more to like demystify who they are and that casting directors aren't these big, bad, scary people that you should be scared of when you go in and sing for. Mm. Um, they are just people like me that, you know, are there to help you do your best and be a liaison, you know, in this process. I love theater and love art, yeah. you know, are just as passionate as everybody who is in this Right, business. and we want you to be great and we want to help you. Um, so we, we developed this program where, where um, young actors um, go through, it's about two months of, uh, of master classes with a variety of different people. We had, you know, people from Mark Bruni, who's the director of Beautiful, mm -hmm. to Alice Ripley, to, um, you know, uh, Rachel Hoffman from Telsey, to different casting directors. Mm -hmm. And they did all of these different classes from different angles where some people worked more on vocal technique, some people worked more on comedy um, in an audition. Um, and, and we also gave them, I worked with the, everyone, every, every class I was at, um, working with them as being the consistent voice of the industry. Um, and we gave people audition sides to work with uh, so they could get a sense of what characters they might be called in for, how to handle short sides and music from shows, how to learn material quickly. Mm -hmm. After that whole process was over, we then chose audition, or uh, sorry, showcase material. And we rehearsed and performed a showcase for the industry. So we had top agents and cast directors come and watch kind of the culmination of these actors' work. Awesome. And a lot of these actors walked away with representation. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the idea to me wasn't about people coming in just to sort of get to audition for anybody. It was about learning and growing as a performer, specifically within this crazy industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and learning about not only yourself, and that goes back to the whole preparation thing of it's hard to be prepared and make those choices if you don't even know who you are and what you have to say. Um, you don't know what roles you're right for. And if you don't know what roles that you might be right for, and that's that's not type. I, I think that word type is like a weird, you know, uh, not useful thing anymore. Yes. Um, it's more about just what you're right for or not right for. And that's going to be different people's opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you, if you don't, if you have to get a sense of what, you, what you're right for so that you can submit yourself for the right projects mm -hmm. so that you can go in for the right auditions and be prepared and you're not trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I developed this program to do that. I also teach a lot all over the place as well, but, uh, it's really to, to, um, to help the actor, not to give them the opportunity to just audition. Mm -hmm. Where else do you teach? Um, I teach with a growing studio. I teach, I do those classes with Actors Connection and, mm -hmm. and Network and um, SAG-AFTRA. I also go to a lot of colleges. Um, uh, I still teach with CAP 21 and I teach, I've taught classes with Northwestern and Yale and um, all sorts of different colleges around the country. Um, I feel but like now there's, there's there's so many places in New York to take classes for actors, right. especially now it can get overwhelming. So it's always nice to hear. And I think it's different. Teach? Yeah, I mean you have to be smart. I know those things cost a lot of money, and mm -hmm. you have to be smart about who you're going in for and what you're trying to get out of that class. Um, but yeah, I think they can be enormously helpful uh, because uh, certain cast directors, I would think, uh, have very good feedback that they can give you. And talking about asking for feedback, you get mm -hmm. feedback right on the spot. 
and bring in those questions that you want to know. Um, it's even it's more helpful for me, especially when somebody asks very pointed questions of, you know, did you like this or not like this? Did you feel like this song works for me? Do you think this choice is a smart choice? Then I can give you my feedback on the spot, um, and. That, that's what I find really useful and why I like doing them because they give me a an opportunity to interface directly with the actor about what their work is. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, in an audition, you know, it's a very different thing. We're really there to audition you. And when I'm teaching a class, I don't look at it as an audition. I, you know, yes, sometimes somebody's, somebody I think will be wonderful and I'll think, oh, they're right for this project and I might call them in. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really looking at those classes as like, you know just an audition mm-hmm. I think it's important because so many people coming to the city out of a wonderful training programs um, a lot of the time what they're taught about auditions was maybe maybe how auditions were or even talking about type not really being a word that's used I so agree with that maybe in the 80s or the 90s or or even like five years ago it just seems like auditions and it just seems like it's changing a lot, especially with media and... It's changing a lot. Well, I think that... I think writers are writing um, more complex and uh, idiosyncratic characters <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, so the type doesn't really exist in the same way um, that it did in, like, the 50s and 60s when there was, like, the archetypes. Um, and have, I think you seen, have you seen Carousel yet? I haven't seen it. It strikes me, like... That, like, you know, everyone's talking about Lindsay Mendez, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that she's, I don't know Carousel, but I did see it. And that she's so not what someone would have thought right. of for that role. But it's interesting. That's she what excites excelling. me about casting. Because yeah. I think Lindsay's actually, it's funny. I mean, not that I can claim credit for this because I didn't cast Carousel. But she was somebody I, I had thought of when they were still casting the role. And just in talking with a friend, I, we were talking about, you know, who, who would be a good carry. And I thought, you know, Lindsay Mendez would be so great. And I just love that idea because she's just is unique and interesting and she's got a beautiful voice and is a wonderful actress. And I thought that would be exciting to me in that role because it's not what I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to get bored when it's like the expected person mm-hmm. gets cast in that show because I think I know what that performance is going to be. Mm-hmm. And I love when people surprise now me. Now you got one. <laughs> I can tell you about mine. Carrie? What's his name? His name is Mr. Snow, and an upstanding man is he. He comes home every night in his round bottom boat with a net full of herring from the sea. An almost perfect. Boat. You know, anybody can be anything, you know, and it then comes down to what somebody brings to any given role that makes them right for it, mm-hmm. right? And I think that it's important to know the archetype so you understand maybe what a character's function is in the show. Mm-hmm. So that if you're going in for Edo Annie, you know, you understand she's the com- the comic relief. So you have to make these scenes funny. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you have to be a certain type, mm-hmm. but you have to understand what that type was, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of outdated things that have changed a lot in the business, even in the past 10 years. Um that is important for people to start recognizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the type doesn't exist. It's, let go of the idea of type. It's mm-hmm. not It's not useful for you. It's another one of those things that's out of your control as well. Mm-hmm. You know? It also feels freeing for uh, an actor that maybe if you're not... 
that's not saying like you can play every part you know what I mean but it's saying like if you feel like you um, whether it's like age or diversity or race like you if what you can bring to it just seems more exciting to me and Mm -hmm. and exciting for casting directors now because you kind of what you can bring in for you know choices for a director or a creative team it it's you can go so far you know out of the box absolutely well i think that's what one of the things i love about casting and you know as an actor it's tricky because i think that um you know you do need to have a good sense of what you what you do well maybe what you look like what your energy is and what that reads to other people like. So certain people, you know, may not be the person that people would look to as being the leading lady, or they might not be somebody who looks inherently funny and they want somebody, you know, certain roles need a certain kind of look. So you need to have a a good sense of that. Um, But then beyond that, it's, you know, it's so subjective and the people that I might think are right for certain roles, another casting director or the director or the producer might think, you know, differently. Mm-hmm. And I've cast shows where I brought in people that have played those roles before and the director thinks they're horribly wrong for that role. But other directors have cast them mm-hmm. in that role specifically at great theaters. Um, I've cast shows where I brought people that played those roles on Broadway. I brought, brought them in for a regional production and the creative team thinks, oh, these people are horribly wrong. And, you know, it's it's what you do and how that reads to people is is so out of your control um, and it's so subjective that I think you just have to have a good sense of, like, what, what it is that you present to people and what your skill set is and then mix that with what your dreams and ambitions are of, roles that you feel excited about playing Mm -hmm. and then you know what will be will be Mm -hmm. jeff jocelyn (laughs) you're incredible that was very uh spot on i feel yeah it's Um, it's look it's a tricky business and i think that um everybody's always looking for the answer of like what i can do to control um the outcome mm -hmm. and the best thing i can say is like doing your best work and then letting it go. Mm-hmm. And the more that you can put it into perspective of like a bigger life that you're leading, mm-hmm. having other things that you love doing, other hobbies, having great relationships that exist outside of the business, mm-hmm. we'll let those auditions just be those auditions. Mm-hmm. And when you book things, it's going to be super exciting and you're going to love it. And you're still going to have scary auditions or, you know, nerve wracking auditions. But hopefully you won't be as tied into the outcome of all the auditions because you can go to your audition, go home, be with your loved ones or your friends, do your other things and, you know, let it go. And you'll be a normal, you know, well-rounded, lovely person that everybody wants to work with. That will probably also know that, not probably, will make your auditions better in the first place. Yeah. And if you ever get a chance to sit in auditions, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. As a reader or as just helping a casting director run the session, maybe. Um, Because you'll see very quickly what people bring into them in the auditions, bring in with them to the auditions beyond just their work because they might be great in the scene but that energy of you know i need to book this role or you know please like me might color their entire audition and they might not even realize they're doing that Mm -hmm. um you can tell the difference very quickly with maybe an actor that is 
working and doesn't necessarily need the job or, you know, maybe has another offer on the table so doesn't really necessarily need the job and the actor that maybe hasn't worked in a couple years and is, like, so desperate to book something, you know, and I get that, that I get that feeling too, but knowing that's where you are mentally and being able to mitigate it will then help you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a lot about your energy, um, and what you bring in with you and then letting it go because you ultimately can't control most of it. We can't, as cast directors can't control a lot of it. Mm-hmm. There might be people coming in that we think they're going to nail this and this is their role and they come in and they have an off day and we can't cast them and mm-hmm. it's heartbreaking for us too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's people that I champion all the time that I wish could book that role and I know what they can do and they just don't have the audition and it's, there's not a lot I can do to fix that. But one thing I find very, um, I, I repeat a lot when I'm teaching is about choice, people making choices and I think it's really important to make strong, make choices in your auditions. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to that is making positive choices. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent of positive choices. And that doesn't mean the happy choice, but it's like what is the what is the positive thing you can play in this moment, in this scene, to keep that person in that room or to, you know, try to make this situation work mm-hmm. rather than, you know, the sarcasm or the bitterness or the anger or the frustration or the complaining you know, eye rolls or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if you ever find you're doing that in a scene, take a step back and look at what the opposite of that is and what's underneath the sarcasm or what's underneath the, you know, the irony. And, you know, it might bring you to a more specific, unique, honest, vulnerable choice mm-hmm. that I think will change your audition. And I find that when I teach, I, I end up... Uh, talking about that a lot because it's something that people forget about very quickly Mm -hmm. um but it tends to be an important component to to any given scene Mm -hmm. well and just like the vernacular of 2018 just seems to be very sarcastic or ironic or you know and it's Mm -hmm. it can be it can not that we don't want to be ourselves and be truthful but sometimes it's you can take that uh, that attitude a little bit too far into a yeah. scene. And look, there are certain shows and roles that are written with that and you need to be sarcastic. And if you, you need, need to be to... Wednesday Adams, be yeah. Wednesday Adams. But I would also <laughs> recommend like try doing the scene and all of those lines that you would be sarcastic. Do them totally honestly and straightforward and see what that does just as, a, as an exercise. And you might find just in rehearsing it that that might bring you to something. And maybe you'll go back to the sarcasm, but you also might find some depth in there that, you know, is more interesting than just being sarcastic, Mm -hmm. you know? And with that, (laughs) thank you so much for talking to me today. So much of what you said was just so, I mean, I'm learning so much and I know that a lot of people listening, it's like eye-opening. my long rambly answers. No, no, (laughs) they're very smart. And also sometimes like, you hear it and it can go one ear and out the other, but right. I think that you've said some things in, in really smart ways that, that actually feel grounded and make sense and feel applicable. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This is fun. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. 
And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!